Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Pop Goes the Girls, where we, two sisters born a decade apart, take a foray through our respective journeys through pop culture. I'm Daisy Kosh. And I'm Chelsea Davidson. This episode is not sponsored by Hershey, despite the fact that we will be eating Hershey Kisses the entire episode. So to kick things off, we are, as mentioned, sisters, but we have had an interesting relationship with pop culture, and its impact is significant in shaping who we've become. Each week, we will talk about a pop culture artifact that shaped us, as well as a memorable character. We'll also have a fan theory fight club where we argue the merits or detriments of some of the fan theories surrounding interpreting different pop culture items. And lastly, we'll play a quick round of Twist the Sister, where one of us loves something the other hates. And we'll open it up to an Instagram poll for you, our lovely listeners, to decide which sister is right. But let's start off in a nice place of agreement. Yes, this week's pop culture artifact is the American romantic drama dance film, Dirty Dancing. Who's that? Oh, them. They're the dance people. So I don't know about you, but I absolutely loved Dirty Dancing growing up. And I mean, I watched Dirty Dancing at far too young an age. Like, I... The movie is, is kind of inappropriate for children. And for some reason, I feel like there were many, many a, like, preteen that was watching that. And well, you not... watched it at what age? I think I was four. Yeah. Well, that, that's mom's doing more than anything else. Yeah, that's, but that's our mom. I think I was probably about eight, and that was only because by then mom had lost control of you pushing things onto me. Like, I was seeing clips of, like, Hostel and... Uh, American Pie, things I should not have seen at a young age, to be especially fair, American Pie. To be to fair, be I was 18 and you were just, you were a wanderer. You you wandered wherever I It's not my I fault <laughs> that you were like 18, I'm sitting there nine years old, and you're like, hey, you want to watch something very corrupting? Okay, so but back on track. Let's let's stay on focus Sorry. with Dirty Dancing <laughs> here. So I, I love Dirty Dancing, and I think it really, really shaped who I was in weird ways. Like, like, it, it, it's just odd. Like, if you think of Dirty Dancing as, like, what the story is about, it is completely off-base with what the the tone is. Like, it deals with class structure. Yeah. It deals, like, heavy Poor stuff. Patrick Swayze. Like, and there's, like, family dysfunction. There's an unwanted pregnancy storyline in in it. In the first, like, you, half hour. Like, yeah. Like, the start of the movie is, we've got a problem. And it's it is the whole reason why the character learns how to dance. Yeah. Which is hilarious because the rest of the movie is like a fluffy romantic story about her <laughs> learning how to dance. And it's just such a tonal shift. But nobody really addresses that. Everyone's just yeah. like, oh, but what about They forget dancing? about Penny and Robbie yeah. and, and that whole drama. Because yeah. they're like, look at them falling in love. And the, and look the at how she's laughing yeah. as he tickles her armpits. Like, they're, they're not... <laughs> Everything else, they don't care. They don't care that Penny had to give up her career for a hot minute just yeah. so she could have her love story. Well, she didn't give up her career. So, I mean, there, there's a lot she of questions here. Like, in, in the whole, like, controversial abortion mm. area that is going on, it's like, it's it's a hot topic right yeah. now. It's like they touched the fire, but then they ran away from the fire, and then they yeah. touched it, and they ran away. <laughs> and, and I have a weird feeling that people who might be, you know, very much against you know, Roe versus Wade and, and, and oh, that, yeah. would still love Dirty Dancing, despite yeah. the whole storyline. It's like they, it's completely forgotten. Well, you can, you can hear the far rights being like, the beginning was a little rough, but yeah. the rest of it I loved. Yeah. I Cla know! A it's classic heterosexual relationship. <laughs> <laughs> like the ultra, ultra far rights, yes. Yeah. Now, now we're not going to get political. No. To each their own, but... 
it's just a very weird tonal shift I find anyway but th but the real impact let's just focus on that because we're we're not going to dissect Dirty Dancing I think in the, in the, this podcast in its full entirety but but yes the impact is the fluffy stuff on me I completely forget even while watching it all of the other stuff and I have been so obsessive about ballroom and Latin dancing since a very young age. Like, I memorized these dances. This is what happened. At four, you watched Dirty Dancing, and then it happened. Yeah. The rest. And I, and I, ever since, I have, I'm truly obsessed with ballroom and Latin, and I just, I learn it all the time, and I, I, I am. I'm obsessed well, with it. I'll watch it. I'll learn the steps and choreography and yeah. how to do variations. For us, it was and... like dirty dancing and dancing with the stars. We were like, let's go. <laughs> I want to be judged. And one fed into the other. Yeah. I yeah. mean, to the point that Jennifer Grey, the star of this movie, was in... I, I think she won. She did win. And she won doing her move from Dirty Dancing. Yeah. So which she I initially mean, said she wouldn't do without Patrick Swayze, but Derek Huff is very convincing, <laughs> obviously. So that is definitely, like, really feeding into the, the fan fodder there like they they knew who was watching yeah. dancing with the stars were the same people who made dirty dancing and yeah hit. well i don't know anyone that was my age watching dance with the stars like i was six and i was like did you watch dance with the stars they're like no i watched curious george and thomas the tank engine and then i went to bed at five <laughs> and i was sitting there like i'm watching criminal minds at nine o'clock mom right after yeah you know. you're a lot you edge toward the darker side <laughs> yeah. i am far more fluffy and like it's a sitcom. It's a rom-com. Yeah. I can, you know, it's girly. That's me. And they're like, bring on the horror. <laughs> yeah. I, I was the one who was like, I'm going to introduce you to some true classics. And then showed you um, When Harry Met Sally, which is a great movie. Yeah, great movie. But it will be mentioned without a I'm doubt. sure, yeah. <laughs> but on top of it, also, like, like Miss Congeniality. Yeah. And, and... I'm, I'm trying to think of like a Kate Hudson type of movie. Like, how to lose a guy in ten days. How to lose a guy in ten days. Like that's the iconic what I, when she's like, "Well, you did a guy. You you just lost a guy in ten days." And she's like, "No, because you can't lose something you never had. That's awesome. Like that's iconic. <laughs> like Kate Hudson has my heart just for that line alone." So I was right though. Like even though you are very dark, oh, and, yeah. like you're very much like the horror movie person between the two of us. I would stay far, far away from that. Yeah. And, like, the, the slashers and, like, the murder mystery yeah. type of person. Well, I am a bit of a detective I still, I because still of pushed, it. <laughs> I pushed my little fluffy agenda on you. Oh, yeah. I'm a nice mix of, like, I dress... I wouldn't say a mix. Like, like I, I'm a mix of, like, <laughs> or nice. I, I look like a Powerpuff girl, but I would stab you. Like, that's <sighs> that's the kind of... Mus the music taste. I no, think Powerpuff the movie Girls do stab people. I think that is kind of how yeah, Powerpuff Girls I very work. much related to Buttercup when I was watching it, <laughs> and I, I feel like that's a perfect representation of who I am. <laughs> but for me, when I was watching Dirty Dancing at a young age, for me it was the dancing really shaped me just like you. But I was just in love with like the emotional impact of it. Like their relationship grows through it. Like, when they're initially dancing, he's like, this girl has no clue what she's doing. You've seen how she moves in that first scene, you know, I carried a watermelon. But you heard her. She, she can't go through the meringue. She can't do it. She cannot do it. It's embarrassing. I don't even think I care about the, the you, like, it is. I don't care about the line. The line, like, I don't care film, about. other film, I would be so critical. I don't know what it is. Probably because I was four and I just kind of accepted it at face value. Yeah. But every other film I would be like. I don't like their chemistry, or yeah. this doesn't make sense. This is not a very good inciting incident for everything yeah. else to happen. I truly don't give a 
a rat's ass <laughs> about about this. It, it it is truly just about the dancing for me. Yeah, I like the dancing in the sense that it made me not only love dancing because you know I took dancing all through high school and we both danced mm-hmm. like lunatics all the time. Um, lunatics, definitely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, people come up to me and they're like, "Did you choreograph what you just did with your sister?" I'm like, "No, we just like have a telepathic like we have like, connection." Yeah, we when had a we're connection. in the movements, kind but, of like yeah. Romy and Michelle, if anyone has seen. Yeah. That. That, yeah. It's that level of. Yeah. But for me, when I watched it, it was the dancing, as you mentioned, the soundtrack. I loved the soundtrack. Oh yeah. It's like really just put me right into going through a time warp because yeah. with being born in like 2000. I began loving stuff from 70s and 80s and 60s and stuff like that because of the soundtrack and it also like helped me step into you know John Hughes movies and And I'll go one higher than that like the the main soundtrack is like that it's all kind of like the Motown Otis Redding oh yeah that kind of type of music but then they made a second soundtrack that was all of the like Latin music yeah. that they played, like it's like un, un, da, 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 poco. like yeah. the stuff like that. Yeah, no one remembers that from the movie, yeah. but I do because yeah. I listen to it crazy, crazy amounts from like the ages of four to maybe eight. Just kept listening to it. Yeah, on cassette. Yeah, not a cassette tape. Way to age yourself there, sis. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I just you remember right cassettes. In... Yeah. For me, it's like, do you remember the CDs? And yeah. they're like, why aren't you just streaming? Yes. But yeah, um, that and then some of the iconic lines, like everyone's like, oh, when he says no one puts baby in the corner, everyone's like, oh, I love that line. For me, I feel like Penny has the best line in the whole thing. Baby? Is that your name? But if it's Robbie, there's no problem. I know he has the money. I'm sure if you tell him... He knows. <sighs> Go back to your playpen. Like, it perfectly embodies how they don't know her yet. So they're like, your name is Baby, and you think you can help me? You don't know shit about my problems. The working class sort of attitude. Go away. Like, you're getting away with so much, and your name is Baby. Yeah. Like, just, you're so naive. It is a really good line. It kind of encapsulates the whole story. Yeah. Because everyone's like... Especially who it's coming from, too. Yeah, because she is the forgotten working class person that the whole story is incited by. Yeah. Working working her ass off. Yeah. Just to pay bills. Yeah. Like, she's not getting ahead. She's not becoming a star. And she... They're just she, The fact live. that she has to do her job is the reason she can't afford to be a mom. Like, the whole reason she needs the abortion is because she needs the job. She needs to keep dancing. Mm. It's not like she's like, oh, I don't want to be a mom. It's like, I can't afford to be a mom, okay? I can't feed myself. I think you got can't way more out of this movie than I did, which is, it was just great. But again, like I said, I, I completely just disregard the story. Immediately. Yeah. You're, you're just there for the happy music, the happy dancing yes. and the lift. <laughs> like, yeah, you're, those, the are your, end. those are your three things. The end for me. Okay. So our next segment, would you like to? Character of the week. Yes. I'll this, let you, uh, I, since, since you truly have a profound relationship far more than I do. Well, I have, I'll I have literally like dotted on my list of episodes for the whole series, the episodes where it's like, they're in love, like Pacey and Joey Dawson's Creek, they're in love. Yes. There's cute moments. Well, they're either arguing ex- or fighting. Explain. Explain. Okay. So our character of the week in honor of the 25th anniversary of Dawson's Creek. That's right. Is it I re- really? Yeah. This year is the 25th anniversary. Oh. I think it's actually just God, happened. I'm old. I'm so You're old. old. I wasn't alive. Yeah. yeah my, my whole life. And yes. they're like, yeah, it started before you were around. <laughs> but yeah, um, 
25th anniversary of Dawson's Creek, Pacey Witter, played by Joshua Jackson, has our heart, our collective heart. Canadian boy! Yes. But, okay. Shout out to Joshua Jackson. Yes. But, um, Pacey Witter is our character of the week, and mostly due to him always, uh, you know, loving and caring personality. Like, he cares so much, he'll do anything for anybody. But he also is the person that will call you out on your shit and speak the oh, truth. Yeah. Like, perfect example is when the whole, like, Pacey Joey thing is starting up in season three. The, uh, I think it's called Takes Forward to Tango or whatever it is. Um, when they're in that scene and Dawson's getting all upset because. Joey wants to get the scholarship, so she Joey, asks just Pacey for, to for dance. Context. Yeah. Joey is a girl. Yes. Joey's this is not a gay romance <laughs> from the 90s slash 2000s. Yes. So Joey, short for Josephine. Katie Holmes. It's played by Katie Holmes and is the main love interest of the series. She's very girl next door. She's grown She's up. She's a tomboy. She has been in love with Dawson, who's James Vanderbeek, since they were kids, since they basically first met. And he is completely clueless about it. Until the I end would say of the he is season. completely clueless about everything at all times. Yeah, the series, we are not fans of Dawson, as you can tell. <laughs> um, we we were like, Pacey's a bit of a shit for about the first three episodes, and, his, and then after that, you were like, I love him. And the the irony of this is like, I think they accidentally wrote the most complex character because yes. because he is supposed to be a sidekick really kind of the foil to their romance in the he's sense, a comic relief he's the yes. classic like and i wouldn't even fall into the saying, background he's there just to look yeah. pretty while they fall in love saying he's the foil to their romance is not even accurate because he's just like the irritant for joey yes. she is she's constantly pissed off because of him being yeah. alive. Well, the opening just scene when they're recording, in the, in the pilot, when yeah. they're recording, and he's supposed to be the, yeah. like, sea creature when they're making their movie, Yeah, and he grabs her butt, she's like, he grabbed my ass, and she hits him, and he's yeah. like, like, you even have one. And in any it's other amazing. series, in any other series, that would have just been, like, a very token, stereotypical character. Yeah. But for some reason... Joshua Jackson made it a whole new level. I don't even think it's that. I think it's I a combination it of the writing and the acting. I think it was the acting. writing. He's very charismatic as an actor. Yes. So that really adds to it. But on top of it, the writing was like, okay, well, we have to give other storylines to other characters in the series. Yep. I, and I guess maybe the Jennifer character is more of a foil to the romance. Than in anything the, else. Yeah, because yeah. she comes along and draws Dawson's eye. Hey there. Hi. I'm Daisy. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. I'm uh, Dawson. Uh, you're, you're Dawson. Dawson. Yeah, I know. Um, we met before. I'm Jen. Oh, the granddaughter from New York. Okay. Right. right. Wow, you, you look different. That's uh, and that's her name? what Michelle Williams. Michelle Williams, thank and you. And she really is like. And I think she was supposed to in. be supposed to be their most complex character because they're like, oh, she's from New York. Yeah, and, you everyone know, she's coming loves to Jen town. because of her layers. The fact that she comes in troubled and, she's, and yeah. mysterious. Yeah, but she also has the face of an angel. Like but, if you see Michelle Williams in season one, you're like, who yeah. is that little? adorable thing. Yeah, and that's a contrast and I think that was intentional and I think it was a a good attempt but like that was the intention it feels like whereas Josh Joshua Jackson made that character far more complex than it ever needed to be yeah. and then it got popular. Yeah. And they well, ran with you, it. You know about what happened, don't you? How they had like Dawson's Creek's the name of the show, right? And it was all supposed yeah. to be Dawson Joey falling in love, you know, it's fun. he's finally going to wake up and see what he's missing, all that, right? <laughs> yeah. But people loved him so much and yeah. his chemistry with her, which is amazing because they dated in real life. Yeah. It's it's a very um, typical like 
I wouldn't even say friends to lovers. What 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 do you call it when they friend? It's frenemies to lovers. Frenemies, because yeah. Because he cares about her, she cares about him, but they also sometimes want to strangle each other. Oh, sometimes. It's, it's like a hug, but a tight grip on yeah. their throat at yeah. the same it's time. It's a hug while someone's holding a knife, and you're just not sure. Yeah, who. <laughs> yeah. It it is. It's it's a it's a very interesting sort of relationship. But I, I and, think and it's I think you're right because we worship at. Like the, the Church, Church of, of Pacey is is <laughs> that is our religion. Yes, exactly. So if there was any question where we fall, that's where. But yeah, um, but he, yeah, and yeah. and I mean, if you don't mind, I'm just gonna yeah, add my go. little two cents about sure. the character. Yes, he is very funny, and he really pushes the limit. And I feel like out of all the characters, despite the fact that they try to like insert characters who are almost tokens of like, okay, this is the very special episode for this week. Yeah. I find that he is by far continuously the most progressive character. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's an incident with a gay prom. Yep. Where he makes sure that he's going to attend the gay prom. Oh, I have something to add to yours as soon as you're done your thought. Okay. Okay. I will be and he polite. supports his he supports his classmate against possibly the worst teacher I've ever. We're gonna talk about the same thing. Okay. Yes. So there's I a homophobic teacher in one particular episode, and he is absolutely. He's not just homophobic. He's a tyrant because none of the students are like, "Oh, I love that guy." No, he's they, a monster. They all are like, "This guy's a dick." He's he's the worst, and I mean, you, everybody's had like a teacher where they're like, "This person is the worst," but he is like. Or to you the have point... a teacher where you feel like you've been like you know wronged um, you've been isolated you've been kind of put out in the cold they will put you at the front of the class and, and humiliate you in some way or another yeah and you feel like you're under a microscope whenever you're there but this teacher the way i mean it might be a little bit over top because i feel like a human rights tribunal could probably oh, walk yeah. in on uh, this yes most but, definitely but it is just a, an interesting sort of case and out of all of the characters and sometimes, like, seemingly out of nowhere at all, he is the one who takes a stand for something. Yes. And he will jump up and he will, you know, I think he punches the teacher. No, he does not. He doesn't punch the teacher. Do you he want, spits. Can I, can I say what happens? Does he spit? Go can ahead. Can I say what happens? Yes. Okay. So there's a character played by Kerr Smith, who is Jack McPhee, and he's introduced in the second season as a possible love interest for Joey. Spoiler alert, he is gay. Um, <laughs> so it's not gonna last. Season. It we ain't gonna last. We ruined a season for you. We didn't ruin okay. a season. We, were, we ruined, like, about five episodes. Because okay, it, it's ahead. a very short romance. Not, not the important yeah. part. The he's important gay. part is he's and gay he, and he's in this class. And he's told to, they all have to write a poem, and he writes a poem about being gay. But he doesn't think he's gonna have to read it in front of anybody because that was not the assignment. Well, the teacher reads his poem, realizes it's about being gay, and decides he's going to, like, say, okay, you're Put the a spotlight yeah, on he him. he really does. He puts yeah. a spotlight on him and says, you, I want you to read your poem. Kind of exposes and yes. outs him in front he of the entire class. He completely outs him, and that is something that is supposed to be their thing. Like, if you are a gay person, it is your opportunity to tell people when you're ready. Yeah. That is your thing. And he turns around and he's like, I'm going to out you in front of the whole class of people that you probably don't feel comfortable with because you're a new student. Yeah. And I, I think at this point he has been there like maybe a month or two. Like yeah, he's not. He's barely in it. He knows basically He has no four one. friends and he's going to lose three of them right now. Yeah. Like that's, that's what's happening here. Yeah. And he outs him and he makes him read the poem and he feels so low because Kerr Smith is such a good actor. You can see how upset he is when he's reading it, and you feel so bad. <laughs> and it starts a whole fight between Pacey Witter and this dickhead teacher. And he turns around and he says, you know, you're so disrespectful. You don't belong in my class. You don't try. All this stuff to try and bring Pacey down. But Pacey's already like, I already have a worse opinion of myself than anyone could ever give me. So let's go. And he turns around and accuses him of spitting in the face of the school system or whatever and he turns around and he spits in his face as Pacey accuses him of this 
Pacey spits on the teacher and he says, no, that is spitting in the, in the face of the school's system or whatever. Yeah. And he walks out. And I was sitting there and I was it's like, a great clap, scene. clap, clap, go it, Pacey Witter. It is a great scene that, that I feel like doesn't get enough credence. Yeah. Because a lot of people do focus and mainly- And people forget about it. Mainly on like the- they surprising storyline yeah. between Joey and him, which as, you as saw coming in season one with the whole double date episode when they do the project together and he's the, peeking. To at be her. frank, to be frank, I watch Dawson's Creek and I tend to just go to like a select, like you said, you have a bullet season point three list. Is the se- is the season? Yes. If you want to watch a good season of Dawson's Creek and fall in love with Wicca- two people, use Wikipedia summaries up to that point and then just go for for season three. And and that's what or I tend to do. Or literally just contact me. I will send you a list of episodes <laughs> that are the best. But yes, but and that's why I tend to forget like little things that that happen. But I mean, there's a whole section of the series as well where, well, two sections, actually. One, where he fights for gender equality yep. at a beauty pageant. Yes. Well, I'm not William Wallace, but I am Pacey Witter. Pacey Witter's seven feet tall. So they say. So they say. And they say that this Pacey Witter is a dangerous man who slaughters Capeside residents by the dozens with jokes and buffoonery. And if he were here, he would destroy those who would judge him. With sparks from his eyes and wit from his ass. Because for years, there's nothing written in the the actual guidelines. Well, you need to also point out he finds out that you get money. You're going to be getting money, which he needs. Yeah. Because he like in Dirty Dancing is working class. Yes. He wants some money, and he goes, "Okay, I read this book. It says that I can join this thing because it doesn't say only women can do it. I'm going to go. I'm going to win it and get some money." Like, I, I do need to point oh, yeah. out that he didn't... Pacey Witter is the guy that fo- does not follow the traditional path. Literally no. everyone in Dawson's goes off to university, and he's like, I'm gonna go sail on a boat. He's almost like, like, if you can envision the surprise success of somebody who just, like, dropped out of high school and then became a millionaire, that's the kind of weird trajectory that yeah. I find for him. He doesn't go to university while the rest of them do. Well, then don't, he's... don't spoil too much. Like, we're not gonna go okay, into... Okay, fine. Then he's a stockbroker, then he has his own business by the finale. Yes. Under 25, mind you. What 25-year-old yeah. works like, really I've got a hard. restaurant. Works really hard yes, for that business. Yes, he works his ass off for the business. Yeah. Which well, makes you a little you too much him. when you find out in the finale how he's working his ass off. But okay. that changes by the end of the episode, which I can forgive. I, I really appreciate, like, his ethic, his work ethic. And yeah. I think anybody who's, like, seen a kid that is struggling in some way but then see that they're working really hard yep. would appreciate that too he so tries so hard he loves so much and that is why we worship at the church of pacey yes okay <laughs> and i do want to add one last thought sure. just because it's just a a shocking thing that happens very early in the series and i cannot get over it is there's a whole storyline in the first season because i don't think they knew what to do with the character hmm. where there is a a romance with a much older woman. I'm not going to go into details in case you do happen to watch the first season, but he, the way he acts and the actual outcome of that storyline with the older woman and like the consequences. She is a predator. Yes. And, and the consequences of it, because he is a very young teenage boy Mm -hmm. and what goes on there is kind of the setting point for the entire character, I find. Because yeah, well, he is a present because and supportive he also has person. To take, he also has to take responsibility. Um, responsibility for it because he turns around. She gets to leave town, you know. Yeah. 
you know, I did something bad, I get to leave. But he has to sit there and deal with the fallout. Yeah. And it continues into the next season when he has a different love interest because she finds out all his dirty laundry and he's like, okay, let's put that back in the hamper. Yeah. And I, and I feel like that kind of sets the tone. If, if you do feel, you know, like you want to go back in time, start with the first season if you're interested truly in the Pacey character, because that storyline is important. For I me, think. you can watch seasons one to four, skip five, come back for the second <laughs> half of six, and then you have got exactly what you needed from <sighs> Dawson's Creek. Anything else that you miss, you can find on Wikipedia, honestly, because okay. it's, you're not missing much if you skip season five entirely. Okay. All right. So our next topic is going to be our Fan Theory Fight Club, which is... I, I feel like we picked the fan theory to destroy all, all fan, fan theories. theories. It is ginormous. Yeah. It will take a while to explain. It's complicated. Because I did my research. Can you do, can you do like a very Cole's Notes type of version that, of this theory? My crazy notes are exactly that. Okay. They are the very limited... So the theory, in a nutshell, is that the Pixar movies... A certain are, amount of them. I think it's like 16 movies. Yeah, to a certain point... The Pixar theories, this was developed... Oh, I cannot remember for the life of me the person who developed this theory. I found out, but I didn't write it down, so that's my fault. Um, but basically, 16 movies explain not only, um, you know, how all these movies are connected, but also... But not that, that they're connected. That is the theory. The theory is that yeah. the movies are connected the same way, like... But it also have... is a reflection of what is going on in the world. Like, it's amazing, because I, okay, I don't you know can if you get did into your that. research, but... You're, I, you're really fleshing it out yeah. far more than I'm sorry. most. But, but, like, you know, <laughs> uh, the best way to compare it, compare it is, like, how Marvel managed to make all of its movies come together. Yes. That was a, an intended theory. Yeah. Whereas with Pixar, there's are, sort of like, isolated standalone stories, and yet there's enough crossover between each of them that there is now a theory that they are intended to be of the same universe. Yes. So go ahead. And I completely buy into it, because when I did my research, I went, this is amazing. I'm on board. Put your blazer with the elbow patches on. I would even go as far to say you could split more in. Okay. (laughs) So first, to start off the connection, I'm going to do this in order of the actual time that it's supposed to have taken place. Just go for it. Not when the movies were made. Go for it. So 2012, Brave comes out. Now, in reality, this takes place around 14th, 15th century, and the whole purpose of this to the story is that the Will of the Wisps ends up leading to superheroes and allows animals and inanimate objects to behave like humans. Okay. Which leads us into The Incredibles. And that's like the Scottish folklore. Yes. That is the One of the story. best princesses, in my opinion, because she's like, I'll fight for my own hand. Yes. And she, she's like, shoots... <laughs> Shoots yeah. some archery, makes it on the bear, fixes it. That trailer, just that tiny segment yeah. of the trailer, it made us just what? fall in love with her. But go on. But yeah. Next. Um, not just the fact that we have red hair and we can connect to her yeah. more than some of them that are like, I want to be blonde. No, Cinderella, I don't have time for you. Anyway, The Incredibles <laughs> is the next one. 1950s to 1960s, this takes place. So superheroes, they're around now. You've got The Incredibles, you've got Frozone, they're all everywhere. Well, they're maintaining order. Until a wannabe superhero, Syndrome, he comes in with high-tech zero-point energy, which is electromagnetic energy that exists in a vacuum. And this creates a pivotal moment where machines are seen being able to um, eradicate supers. and Superheroes. Yes, superheroes. Yeah. Which eventually leads to toys being hold able on, hold to... Hold on, hold on. Wait, wait. How does that tie into the Will of the Wisps? Because the will of the wisps, the, like the power that they have, yeah, is a la- is what leads to superheroes. Oh, okay, all right, 
Okay, that one's a little bit more abstract. I know. Keep going. I know. Keep going. But it's like the starting point because right. the wisps are what creates like the magical stuff. Like you see brooms moving with the whole witch. Okay. And that's supposed to be like the will of the wisps. You know, the brooms are moving with the magic. She's somehow a bear by eating a cake. Like this is crazy shit that's happening in the 14th, 15th century, right? Anyway, the Incredibles. Uh, so with the Incredibles, the machines are taking over basically. They're stopping superheroes from like maintaining order. And at the same time, you start to see that toys are able to absorb and draw from these powers, which is due to the will of the wisps, uh, because of the zero-point energy that Syndrome has, like, brought so forth. So, inanimate objects. Okay. Yeah. Okay, go on. Which leads to 1995's Toy Story, <laughs> which really takes place between 1997 and 1998, and this is why. So, in this situation, it's the first signs of life in toys, and the toys are coming up with, like, a code of rules, and they have like learned that humans love is what they need to be happy what they need to live a fulfilled life and uh but at the same time these toys are able to discover what happens to toys when they're isolated from humans you've seen sid's bedroom no toy deserves that no toy <laughs> wants that which leads to toy story 2 1999 which takes place at the exact same time 1999 so the toys discover that it's dangerous for them to be isolated like i said and uh, you start to see inanimate objects question their purpose in life, like when Jesse resents. It's kind of like like an, almost like AI, only I guess not digital. Yeah. It's like the inanimate objects are getting like a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning of life yeah. and a sense of community. Yeah. And, yeah. This okay. is why you love your toys, everybody. Love them or they will come for you. But yeah, like you. So start... be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So, you start to see them questioning themselves, like, Jesse resents Emily for abandoning her, Sarah McLaughlin's singing scene, breaks your heart every time, gonna cry every time, you know, when she loved me, yes, when she loved her. Anyway, so, this resentment towards humans is not only carried in inanimate objects, though, which is when there's, like, a direct connection to... Come on, drum roll. I don't know. What's, oh, okay, what's it leads into Finding Nemo, which is 2003... What? I know, hold on. <laughs> Not only toys are resenting humans. That's my whole point. Okay. Which leads us to Finding Nemo. Okay. 2003 also takes place in 2003, like, in the story. So, fish are found to be incredibly advanced. They have literal schools, not just schools of fish. Like, they're learning shit, okay? Uh, they have a network, a freeway system. You know, they're going along that reef and everything. Anyway. So, you discover at this time that humans are polluting the earth, and they're experimenting on the fish. Now, people are like, what do you mean they're experimenting on a fish? We don't see that happen. Well, so Dory, because of her having this memory loss, that isn't common for her type of fish. That is because she was experimented on. I remember it. I do. It's there. I, I know it is because when I look at you, I can feel it. And, and I, I look at you and I, I'm home. I don't want that to go away. I don't want to forget. And the other fish that Nemo's chilling with in the tank at the dentist office, who has the Gil, Gil, that's Gil. his name. He's got the all damaged fin. Yeah, the okay. damage is believed to be because he was experimented on. Okay. So, um, where was I? Where was I? But they're being experimented on, and there's signs of resentment growing towards humans because they polluted the environment. They're stealing fish and caging them. They're experimenting on them. Fish are pissed. They're like, what the hell, dude? We live here too. Treat us better. And animals begin to be more curious and carry more humanistic characteristics as well. 
That's why Nemo's so cute. That's why Dory's adorable, as well as Ellen DeGeneres. But in general, because they're carrying more human characteristics, that leads us into 2007's Ratatouille. <laughs> this is a long theory. I know. My research <laughs> took days. Okay. So Ratatouille, 2007, also takes place in 2007 in the universe timeline. So Remy is discovering his love of cooking. And he displays human characteristics by walking on his hind paws. He cleans his hands. He reads. That's right. You've got a rat that's reading, folks. He's reading. He's cooking. He's being a better chef than half the people in the movie. So this marks the first time that you see a human and an animal interacting personally. But it is for the purpose of controlling humans, to be fair. Because Remy literally controls Linguini through his hair. Because Linguini doesn't know how to do shit. He can't do anything. And Remy's, Remy's rat clan does not approve of the humans and feels both fear and hate towards them, which, like, reinforces the whole, you know, fish are getting pissed, rats are getting pissed, land and sea are uniting. Anyway, that leads into Toy Story 3, 2010, which also takes place in 2010. This is where it kind of lines up timeline-wise. Time okay. So, three years later, after Ratatouille, you've got toys have gone through a lot with humans, you can tell that they've had enough after you see literally the opening scene of them being in the daycare. You got kids putting dolls up their noses and they're sneezing on things. There's, that's not okay. You don't treat a toy that way. Anyway, so they've been abused physically and emotionally by humans. Watso, who's supposed to be the villain, he straight up hates humans because they've used him, they've discarded him, they've done it to his friends. He's over it. Um, so he begins taking care of his own kind. He's like, you guys stick with me. Screw the humans, we're, we're going to get through this. So this provides yet another reason why machines and objects and animals alike are ready to take over. They're over it. So, but, interesting fact here. Carl and Ellie, from Up, they write to Andy telling him to get rid of his toys because they know the animosity between the toys and the humans are going to, like, come to a head. And that's why they're planning on living in solitude. Now, this is able to be part of the theory because this is actually really cool. In the third Toy Story, you see a tiny itty-bitty, like, clip. And in the background, you see Carl and Ellie's writing to Andy. And it's, like, in a pile for Andy from them. Which is amazing to me. Uh, like, the fact that they were like, let's just slip that in there. Continue this whole thing. Anyway, that leads to Up. 2009, but in reality is taking place between 2011 to 2016. Anywhere between there, really, because we couldn't pinpoint it. So, Carl, as you know, he's being forced to give up his house to a corporation called BNL. They become a huge part of it later. BNL, isn't that yes. from Wally? They become a huge part of it later, Chelsea, okay. as you okay. know. Let's let's just skip forward a little bit. No, 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 this is really okay. cool. Okay, alright, fine. Okay. You are so, really being completionist with this. This is amazing. So, they expand the city... <laughs> And this is also foreshadowed because this corporation is the cause for polluting the earth and wiping out life in the distant future, as you see in Wally, as you said, as a result of technology overreach. And Carl discovers that animals can communicate with humans, as he saw with Doug. Right. Okay. And he sees the bitterness that they have because some of them are like, let's get him. You know, the little, like... Yeah. They're like, you know, fix the They have their own personalities. They're not just, yeah. like... Yeah, and Charles, and Charles Muntz, he's effectively training them to be, like, his army and protect yes. him from them and everything. Yeah. And at this, this is, like, the tipping point. Like, this is the literal, like, tipping point. Like, shit's gonna go bad from here on out. Okay. And years later, the uprising between animals and humans begins. So, <laughs> this leads to Cars, which was done in 2006, but really takes place in 2100 
to 2200. It takes place in the future? Yes. I never knew are that. Are you ready to find out why it takes place in the future? Okay, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. so when animals rose up against the humans to stop okay. the pollution, the machines saved the humans, and they were able to win this, like, war between, like, animal and inanimate objects versus humans. Machines came in were like, we'll help you out, man, and stopped them. However, because the machines helped the humans win, it's tipped the balance on Earth. So machines and B&L, that big corporation, yeah. um, they had to send the remaining humans off into space in a ship called Axiom. Which, okay. Oh! And all of the, hold on. And all of the other machines oh, I like were this. left behind to populate the world and run things. But how do we okay. know? Hold it's on. finally coming together hold for Hold on. Me. Hold on. <laughs> but how do we know that cars took over Earth and not another planet, Chelsea? How do we know? Leads us into Cars 2, which was done in 2011, but takes place around the same time of Cars that was done in 2006. So, in Cars 2, Cars literally go to Europe, and they're going down to Japan, which do not live in another planet, because okay. we know they're chilling here on Earth. Right, okay. Which shows that it's the same planet okay, as so all the other Pixar movies. we know that the Cars movies. have taken over Earth. Yes. Cars are the only thing that's living here. There's nothing else. Okay. Um, Is that the only purpose of that story? Because I feel like that was the worst movie. No, no. Oh, oh God. <laughs> I can't watch anything after the first Cars. Oh. Like, I, I, it's not my fault. I just, I'm not a fan of Cars in general. I don't know. It's like... Mine gets me to work and home, and that's all I need from it. <laughs> so... Until it takes over Earth. Yes. A, and then I will years. love it forever. <laughs> it also shows, at this time, though, in Cars 2, that there are no humans throughout the world. Okay. The world at this time ends up in an energy crisis, because oil is the only energy used to power cars. Right. And so this Alano Corporation is using green energy for a catalyst for a fuel war in order to turn cars away from alternative energy sources. Okay. But that clean fuel could have been used to swiftly um, wipe out or like decommission many of the car, uh, many of the cars. So Alanol was run by B&L. This is the interesting part. Okay. B&L. It's a subsidiary of the company. Um, yeah. Dun, it's all dun, a ruse. Dun. It's okay. all a ruse. Anyway. So BNL though has been polluting the whole earth as you know. So Alanol is probably not that good. Um and the whole world becomes unfit to sustain life. Okay. Which leads us into Wally. Eva. Yeah. This is where you're going to love it. So and it's it okay. I'm just going to take a quick You can you can have your little segue yes, for a sec. I've got more to come. I know, I know. You have you've done far too much research into this. So as you can see it is a very complex theory that goes across a bunch of different points. But I feel like the key points are like a few key movies. And I feel like the rest of them are kind of like shoehorned in. And that is why I agree to a certain extent with this fan theory. I feel like there is an attention because you do also see I feel like from, super connected to do it like, after I research I know it. I, I'm in. I'm I so invested. <laughs> I know it's probably like an animator just like testing out a product in a movie before they use it in the movie it's intended for. But yeah. there's there's very much uh, like lots of of like like the ball from Toy Story. I'm pretty sure is shown, even though it was done years before in, in Monsters Inc. In Monsters Inc. And in and, Up. And Nemo is also in Monsters Inc. Yeah, so there is a very much a little bit of overlap. So there's crossover, and it's probably either that or the animators were lazy and they're like, "We need a toy. Yes, let's use Nemo." That's it. That's it. It's ultimately like, yeah, they're reusing assets, but yeah. it works in because it creates this sort of theory that everything works together, and there and it is valid. Like the theory does actually work, but its detriment is that it is too freaking long, 
and too convoluted for people to really get into it. And like the, the theory that I initially heard, which is this one still, but it was in like a much shorter condensed version. Sorry. Was, <laughs> <laughs> was, but first of all, I looked it up. It's by John Negroni. Sure. And he Shout has, out to him. Yes. He's a genius. I'm on board with this. And he has like, he, he even has a website that like goes into rebuttals. If you look up his like his blog, I think it's johnnegroni.com, you can find the theory and you can find him having updated it, I think, three or four times yeah. to include the movies that came after he did. He's as the invested theory. as we are. And they still work. Like yep. the good dinosaur fit in even though it happened prior to I didn't I don't have the, the good dinosaur the in mind because I didn't like go into Yes. The you started with the initial theory. Yes. I believe yeah. in the initial theory and I will but investigate it continues to work. further later. And it does. It continues to work and, and it's it's a really interesting sort of I, I don't know. It's an interesting theory, but I feel like the BNL connection, which is the, the by topper. and large, yeah, it and, is the topper. And I mean, I think there's BNL batteries in the back of, of Buzz in, Buzz, in which Toy means, Story. Yes. So from a very early point, they had that, and they, then they were just, planning an uprising. I don't know in, if they were planning in, an uprising, in, but in, they used it in they the used 90s it. and 2000s. It it's clever. It's definitely Pixar was clever. sitting there like, let's create a universe. Yeah. It's an better investment. than Marvel. Better than it's any universe that Okay, seen. can we fast track okay. the end of your theory, I'm nearly please. done. I swear, there's four movies. Oh. I've done most of them. Okay, go so, on. So, Wally takes place in 2800 to 2900. Okay. So, Earth has become inhabitable for hundreds of years due to BNL. The corporation took over the world slash you've seen Wally, you know what happened. Places is a shithole. Yes. Earth is dead. Yeah, Earth, Everyone's Earth gone. be done. Earth be done. That's what yeah. it is. <laughs> anyway, Wally is the only machine left on Earth after it ran out of resources which is why the cars aren't around anymore. It's just Wally all by himself. Poor guy. But he survived because he's fascinated by human culture and his friendship with a cockroach, which helped maintain his personality yeah. and his fulfillment through all of this time. And robots and machines on Axiom, which is in space where all the humans are, are showing that machines have developed a sense of purpose directly due to humans' dependence. You make a mess, I will now fix it. That is what machines are doing up in space. Anyway... So, as a result of this, Wally becomes Robot Jesus. <laughs> That's basically what he becomes. It sounds crazy, but he's like Robot right, Jesus. Robot and Jesus. He, and his is love, who's named Eve, by the way. <gasps> I know. Well, that's not Jesus. That would be Adam. Whatever. Robot Adam. We're going into biblical connections and robot universe, Chelsea. This is craziness. Okay, all right, go on. Wally? We're going down the rabbit hole here. Robbie, er, Wally has become robot Jesus, and he and Eve save the human race and start a whole new beginning so that humans can come back to Earth. But this hasn't they happened yet, Earth. obviously. Woohoo! Hold on. But so that's you know, bored. They fixed in Earth. the credits. You see the shoe with the plant yes. growing out of it. Yeah, and so we're growing. We're growing and new life. To give you a hint of what's coming next, that plant becomes a mighty tree, Chelsea. Yes, which leads to da 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 da. Yeah. A bug's life. This is a, a seed. Uh, yeah, it's a rock. No, <laughs> just pretend pretend it's a seed, okay? Yes. But it's a rock. I know it's a rock. I love that movie. Yeah. I, I, a bug's life is so underrated. If you haven't seen it, shame on you. Go watch it right now. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. But yeah, Bugs Life made in 1998 before I was born. Um, <laughs> but it really takes place in 2,898 to around 3,000. The reason for this: the same plant that you see at the end of Wally grew to become the mighty tree in a bug's life. And insects have a larger lifespan because prior to Wally, an ant could last like three months, but now ants survive an entire summer and allude to being around for quite some time afterwards 
because you've got he's like i feel 70 again and he's not 70 days old he could be 70 weeks old we don't know how old this guy is but he's living a while anyway so ants are not only living longer they're sturdier as a result of evolution and their mutated genes from over time snakes birds bigger bugs are all mentioned but not humans yet this implies that there are very few humans to make it dangerous enough for insects um. to really worry. And, but however, one kid did allegedly pick the wings off of the homeless bug that you see when he goes to the city. Yes. There's, that's the only time a kid is mentioned. Ugh, that's Sid. They brought Sid back. <laughs> he's, and he's later on, to bugs. And later on in the distant future, well, Sid would be very dead by now, Chelsea. Oh, that's right. Right, this we're is, way we're, in the future. We're like, this is we're Sid's going, grandchildren. No, this is like his great, 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 great times ten grandchild. I can't believe that Sid was able if to he find. Survived. He was if able he survived, find someone. Yeah, that kid was a monster. Well, he might have made her. Like, look at how machines took over. To be fair, of with like with this whole theory. I feel like the Bugs Life one works really, really well. Like, I yeah. I never thought that Bugs Life take place. But there's nothing that implies otherwise. Yeah. I loved Bugs Life. Yeah, I really do. I had a poster on my wall. Like, I know, it, it I was took a it. It impact. was in my wall when you That's true. Left. Hand-me-downs. That's yeah. right. That's right. How are you sisters? Look at our walls. <laughs> anyway, so <sighs> later in the distant future, animals are starting to evolve into a dominant species, though. Which leads oh, me no. to you Monsters, more? Inc. These I'm are the peaking. last two movies. I swear. These are the last give, two. Give it. Go fast. Okay. So the last two movies are Monsters University and Monsters, Inc. As you know, they are connected, both literally because we're talking about the same characters, but they're also connected in this universe. So 2013, Monsters University comes out. It really takes place in 4,500 to 5,000. So hundreds of years after Wally, animals have started changing due to radiation caused by BNL that is still present on Earth because the Earth isn't completely fixed. And they become monsters? Hold on. These animals <laughs> have evolved into monsters. You're getting ahead of me. Well, just say yes. Don't, don't be like, hold on, let me say it in another way that's the same thing. Let me explain, Chelsea. <laughs> so they've evolved into monsters, and they're accidentally wiping out humans off of the face of the Earth because they don't know their own power. Well, Monsters University was founded in 13. 13, which makes you think it's really old, right? Wrong. This date is using the monster's ca calendar and the hum not the human calendar, which shows it took place almost 1,400 years after A Bug's Life, which is why Monsters University is taking place in 4,500 to 5,000. Anyway, so... You got that? Yes. So, <laughs> at Monsters University, though, they falsely are taught that monsters... Uh, sorry, they taught the monsters that humans were toxic... From an, and they were from another dimension, and that this was because mon and this was because monsters were worried about being erased from existence because humans did that before and were like re being really mean to animals and they're like we're animals man we want to be treated well anyway and they don't want to alternate his they don't want to alter history either so that leads into Monsters Inc made in two thousand and one but takes place around the four thousand five hundred to five thousand okay so monsters and machines didn't realize their mistake by getting rid of humans until it was too late as you already know. They eventually realize that humans are the source of energy, much like toys did way before. And they were like, okay. they're what makes us whole. Okay. Monsters are like, same with us, so man. So apparently humans destroy the planet, but our love makes everything whole. Yes, so. that's exactly what it is. Let's, uh... Humans are dicks, but if they love you, everything <laughs> is right. Yeah. So this is just a story about love, everybody. That's and dicks, what apparently. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, machines are helping solve that by letting monsters use doors to time travel to human generations, which leads us to Boo. 
time travel is existing. Monsters know that they need love, so they go time traveling. To go find Boo. Yes. Back in time. Yes. So that Boo will teach them the ways. You know what I'd love? I'd love another Monsters, Inc. movie where Boo is an adult. I'd love this theory to end. Like, th this it is, is my it's own, done. My I swear, own I'm issue. done. I'm done. I'm not going to go into the new, like, the adjustments. Whole, I'm the done. whole theory. Okay. So, I... Correct me if I'm wrong. The theory is very valid. It has visual proof in the movies. It's not just something that is very put together after the fact. It it seems very valid. Yes. Almost like John Negroni was on the animating staff or storyboarding or something. I don't know. He was a spy. He's not, I don't think. But but it feels like he was. But the detriment of it is it's too long and convoluted and you really have to put the time in. And I'm very sorry that we picked this theory. Now. Oh, I'm not. I love it. <laughs> I, I am invested. I can't wait for him to Ugh. do some more research and connect all these babies into this. I am on my last Hershey kiss. So well, let's, you're let's move on. I eat one, on. you've ate like seven. Let's move on <laughs> to the next segment. Oh, you have more Hershey Kisses. Perfect. You don't, okay. you don't have to cry. Perfect. I brought more. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we're going to go into our Twist the Sister segment now, where, as you already know, we're going to try to convince each other of something. This week, mm -hmm. Chelsea needs to convince me that... Seinfeld is awesome. And I don't like it. I've watched two season six or eight... And I can't do it. I'm done. I, I, six or eight. Well, those I, I are very different seasons. I think I'm on season but... six. I think I was on season eight of How I Met Your Mother before I rage quit. You rage quit a lot of the things that I tried to make you It's watch. not my fault. Things are going really well, and then things are going to shit real fast, and I'm okay. bored. And okay, I'm angry, so... and I don't like it. Okay, but so... But yeah, you sing the merits, and then I will be like, you're wrong. But yeah, okay. I'm going to say you're very stubborn, so you're, I, I have a feeling I'm not going to sway you you're on virtually same. anything. Don't do this. You're the same. When it's my week and no. I'm like, Harper's Island was a great show, you'd be like... Pfft. Yeah. No, no. I, I listen. I listen. So here's my... Okay. I cannot believe I have to explain why Seinfeld, which is continuously voted, like along with Sopranos for drama, Seinfeld is like, for comedy, the best show of all time on television. I know that you feel that way. And I do think that there are not elements... Not me! Not me! Like, there, the world there is There are whole. elements. There are elements of it that I enjoy. Ugh. Elaine dancing like a lunatic. Like, there's the odd thing here's that is your, good. Here's the problem. But there's a lot that's really not. Okay. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Okay. We are also fans of Friends, which is around the same time period. It yes. was in the same sort of, like, like, like it was on the same network, I believe. Anyway. Yeah. So it they was... They were running things back then, Friends and Seinfeld. <laughs> yes. I think it was NBC. I don't know. Anyway. So, Friends was... No, it was Warner Bros., wasn't it? No, Warner Bros. Warner was Bro wasn't a network. It wasn't a network. Ignore me. Ignore me. Okay. I wasn't alive. Don't ask me who was running I know. Those. I know. You weren't around for any of this. So... And I'll, I'll get to that point in a second. Okay. So a big part of, of that is that Friends is one of those shows that is very light, very fluffy. You like the characters, even if they do something wrong, which I will get into also in a moment. And then on top of it, they are... They're living in a fake New York. No, but, like, I know they try to, like, say rent control and stuff like that, but these people don't And they try to have work. it that half of them are broke. Yeah. And half of them are wealthy. Yeah. But the ones they that are work. the ones that are wealthy aren't working, and the ones that are broke are working, but are still somehow it like Yeah, whenever they try to address the money troubles, which happens in the earlier seasons because I yeah. feel like they were trying Ra to Rachel, Joey, it. and um 
Phoebe. Yeah, they versus, were trying to ground versus it a little bit. the bourgeoisie Gellers and Chandler Bing. But it makes <laughs> no sense. Yeah. Nobody in New York would be able to live the lifestyles they have and not and seemingly never work. There are this is, this is, this is turning to a I hate friends, not a no, why is Seinfeld no. awesome. Hold on, it's important <laughs> to understand this. In contrast, on Seinfeld, they have. Very much mentions of how expensive the apartments are. Mm -hmm. There's a whole storyline where somebody is trying to obtain an apartment because it is cheaper. And, and the whole situation that's going on there. And and on top of it, it like the characters work. They work and, and they get fired if they do something bad. Whereas it doesn't seem like that really happens very much. on Well, except for Joey because he's continuously unemployed. But Seinfeld is set in reality. And on top of that... So hold on, Seinfeld's awesome As a child, it's in reality. Hold on. Okay. As a child, you don't appreciate Seinfeld. There are very there's a lot of like the young generation right now I know are really into friends, especially with streaming. Mm. They're really super into it, but it's it it's easy to watch and very palatable. It's a fantasy. Because it's, it's a, a fantasy. fantasy. Thank you. You get to laugh at their jokes, you get to love the romances, but you get to ignore the fact that this doesn't exist in reality. And I don't see that with Seinfeld. I, I don't am see aware of young that. Seinfeld fans. I can count on one hand the number of people I know who enjoyed Seinfeld before, like, the age of 20. There's not many. Hmm. Because they're not living in reality. Yeah. They're still, you know, they're living they're, at home, they go to school, and everything's excited la, about la, la. the future, not knowing the future is shit. Yes. Yeah. And Seinfeld, like, these people have virtually no ambition which is frankly like most people like people are burnt out they're just they're trying to work their job they're not really thinking that far ahead they're just trying to make ends meet and just move forward whereas like that's not the case with friends friends they're like oh well one day i fantasize to be in the fashion industry and it's very very different than anything that it, happens though. go rachel i know but it's a <laughs> fantasy whereas with Seinfeld works and why I think it is one of the best shows and why it is amazing is because it lives in the day-to-day -day. it doesn't live in like a trajectory of a long-term goal and and the accumulation of the goal the way like a movie would it lives in like this is today and then this is the next day and then this is the next day and that works and these people they do not go out to try and obtain mates in the same way like they do on other shows where it's i shouldn't say mates like i sound like i'm a biologist or, or, or you're, you're still in a anthropologist you're still in a bug like yes who is doc gonna mate with in the future yes yeah. but no but it, it, it's they it's, find their partner yeah yeah they have boyfriends and girlfriends throughout the series I mean, one of them is continuously going back to the same boyfriend over and over and over and over again, and it's n clearly not a, a healthy relationship, and they're not getting along, but it's just convenient. Yeah. And convenience sometimes it trumps. It's true. Trump's and relationships are like that. Yeah. So, why I like it is because it yes. lives in the day-to-day, -day. and if okay. you are of a certain age, maybe you haven't hit that age yet because you are younger than me. Oh, yeah. It's my fault that I'm 22 and not 31. <laughs> But, but, my theory is that once you are living, you know, a life where you're out on your own and you have an apartment and you're working full time and, you know, you're paying bills and doing all of these things, I feel like anybody who watches that show would then start to appreciate it on a new level because it lives on the day to day. And I know it's a show about nothing, but there's lots of shows now that are kind of about nothing. That show is particularly about my, that. And okay. they're not perfect people. 
They are God, not You're not even likeable. kidding with that one. They're not likable people. You're, you're right into and my argument. A person, and that is probably why you don't like it, because they don't try to make themselves too likable. No, but that's not why. But let's face it. Okay, fine. Let's face it. A majority of us are not perfect people. We've done things where we're like, oh, God, I wish I could take that back, or, oi vey, and, and, like, you... Was that oi vey? It was oi, yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> it was oi vey, but it got stuck in my throat. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's... It was, it was a internal oi It's excellently written in the set... Oh, I don't even know where to begin with you. I don't know why you don't like this. It really Do you want me to say me. why I don't like it? Yes, why don't you like I it? I recognize that Seinfeld is based in reality. I actually appreciate that about the show because they're dealing with real stuff. You do see a guy walking around with Les Mis stuck in his head, you know, master of the house, keeper of the key. You do, you do see stuff like that. Yes. You do see people who run a business who are total dickheads, like the soup Nazi. You do see people like this. Yes. However, I think it's important that you are watching something for more than just the fact that it's exactly like your day-to-day -day life. If I watch Seinfeld and I'm like, this is my life, why am I watching that's my life? That's relatability. That isn't relatable to me. I think there's Th a certain... uh, That's my point! Hold on. You don't live that life yet, there's so a... it's not relatable hey, to you. I work. I work. Oh. I may not work the way you work. I know. But I, I know. still work. But and that's I, my point. But I think that the a, a point of certain sitcoms, especially sitcoms, You're if it was young. a drama, if it was a drama, <laughs> if it was a drama, I feel like I would appreciate Seinfeld more because of it being based in reality. Okay. But I think sitcoms are meant to be somewhat based in reality, somewhat fantasy, and you're supposed to actually enjoy what's going on. Find it funny, like some of the characters or any of the characters. But they when, are likable. They're likable because you I, see yourself in them. When I watch Seinfeld, I live for the two minute clips of when he's doing stand up. You want to know why? Because that is more relatable than the whole episode to me. But that that is hilarious and that is true. But it's a play out of that. It's, yes. It's applying that to your life. Yes, but his Have you ever just in the gone... first two minutes or the last two minutes or wherever he puts it in the show are funnier to me and more enjoyable than the rest of the show. I will say there is the odd episode that I did enjoy more than expected. For example, the classic Soup Nazi episode. I enjoyed that, though, not for anything that happened at the episode, other than Elaine's storyline. Her revenge? Yes. Her okay. revenge is why I love that episode, because the Soup Nazi, she's like, this guy's not a Nazi, you're messing. You have And she lived goes up and enough. she goes to order Here's food. Here's my theory. Hold on. She goes to have order Have you ever food. had to move your own, have you ever found a piece of furniture gone, I love that, picked it up and... For you, for you, of mm -hmm. your own volition, mm -hmm. picked it up and said, I want that so bad, and tried to move it to where you need to move it to. I say, you've never done it. You've never, ever I've done it. I've been Ikea with you. I've done it with you. <sighs> but that's me. That's my experience. No, I'm not talking about Ikea. I'm saying you found it on, like, on the side of the road. I would never do that. <sighs> I, I'm just not the person that would see something on the side of the road and be like, I want that. Because all I can think is, dust mites cockroaches Ugh. think could fall apart what did they do to it you know my instantaneous response is I, I like I'm not a New Yorker every part of me is like in the suburbs on the other side the, the quiet part of New York away from the city away from the rats like I'm away from where oh Seinfeld is supposed to be based in reality okay. anyway not only that I, I love when he does a stand-up, as you know. That, I'm not going to win. The best part. I'm not going to win. The reason I love the soup Nazi, as I told you, is because of Elaine. And I love the end of it, where he's treated her like shit, but she's got his recipes. So she goes up to him and she's like... Half a cup of olive oil, three pounds celery. This is my recipe for a wild mushroom. Yeah, that's right. I got them all. Cold cucumber, corn and crab chowder, 
Mulligatani. Mulligatani. You're through, Soup Nazi. <laughs> no more soup for you. Next! Yeah, the next is the best yeah. part of the whole thing because she goes, she goes up to him and she's like, that's right, I know your secret. It's over for you. Yeah. Yeah. And then she does You're the whole next thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That, I think, is great. That's, and you know why you love that? That is a revenge fantasy. That does not tend to happen in real life. Yeah. That is one of the few times that the series Elaine departs. is my favorite character anyway from it, because yeah. I feel like Elaine is trying her best to be the best person she can but be. But the series has departed from reality to a little bit there, just for the yeah, fun joke. Just, just for that bit at the end. And that's why but you love it! No! You don't like reality! I don't like the reality of Seinfeld. I think yes. it's ridiculous. I think that you, if you so, watch it, you need a certain amount of escapism. <laughs> And when you watch Seinfeld, you're just like, oh my god, I totally it relate to that. Better. I have to pay bills too. I have an annoying neighbor. It makes me feel I have feel a friend better. that's super neurotic. It anyway, makes me feel better about me, my life. I connect to Seinfeld based on the fact that I feel like I'm part George and part Elaine. That, for me, is like, yes. I feel like that's who I am. You're having the summer I can't of George every day. I can't stand Kramer. I can't stand him. Like, I, I don't know what it is specifically. There's something about him, though that I can feel my blood pressure rise when he's around, and it's not just because I feel like I'm Jerry, and he's annoying the shit out of him, do you have the same way Kramer? he annoy the shit out of me. Do you have a Kramer in your real- you don't have to name names, but do you have a Kramer in your real life? Yes. And when you see that person, do you I, avoid I don't, them? I don't go, oh, Kramer, and Are let you... him into my house. I want to kick him out of my house. I Are don't you want him forced around to me. be around that person? Yes. You are forced to be around that person? Yes. Okay, and how do you handle the situation? Like, underhanded I, I avoid sarcasm? Them. No, I avoid them. Underhanded sarcasm. Like, I'm Jerry, but at the same time, I'm not Jerry enough to let him into my home. I would get okay. rid of Kramer as soon as I saw Kramer. Because I know... You're very cold. I, I, like, I, I, I can't stand him. I don't see any part of him that is good. Okay. Like, I just, I don't get him, and I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I can't relate to him. I find him annoying. <laughs> I want him out of it. I don't even think he One of the most beloved much. characters in television. Yeah, people love she Kramer, hates. and I, I can't stand him. Um, and, yeah, I also, I don't know how this sh the show ends, because I didn't finish it, as you know. But I genuinely think, after watching what I watched, I don't know why Jerry and Elaine are not together. I don't get it. I really don't. Because they're better matched to each other than any of the people they dated. Any of them. I don't know if that changes. That's life! That's life where you go, this person would really be better off with this person, but they're not together. They're just not attracted to each other. They so are attracted I mean. to each other. They dated! Yeah, they're not that attracted to each other. Yes, they are. They just put it on the back burner because they think okay. there's something better out there. All right, well. He dates like 28 women or some shit on that show. None of them are working for him. I feel like our poll should be a little less about <laughs> whether or not I swayed you because my, my career as a litigator is over. Do you believe over. in sitcoms being connected to reality no, or fantasy? No, no. My, my question is, should Jer are Jerry and Helene attracted to each other? <laughs> question mark. Because I say, no, they're not. They I, even though they try to have like a sexual relationship at one point in the series and it fails, I don't That's even know. That's because they're trying that. something that they know isn't working. Yeah. Because that, wasn't that early? Because wasn't that early on? Oh, I don't know. Because they're not attracted to each other. Yes, they I are. don't get like they, <laughs> oh they my God. love each other so much. Like he'd do anything for her, she'd do near enough anything for him. And it's more than the bonds of friendship. Like when you watch other sitcoms, when you see someone who would do anything for someone, they end up falling in love. And you wanna know why they end up falling in love? Because they're in love. <gasps> oh my gosh. Okay. All but right. yeah, so well. 
that's it for our twist the sister. Um, I feel, I, feel I don't feel even remotely twisted. I feel relaxed. <laughs> Limber as yeah, ever. Not yeah. even remotely. I could go twisted. into a split right now. Like, <laughs> no, I'm not All remotely right. twisted. So that is it for this week with Pop Goes the Girls, and uh, join us next week when we discuss. I hope something other than Seinfeld and Pixar theory because we, that one of was a. Will. You know yes. I got you. We'll we'll oh, have yeah. a fight about something completely different yeah. next week. She'll throw darts at me with her twist the sister. Just with my eyes. Okay. <laughs> Thanks everybody. Bye.